Welcome back, perfect peeps, to perfect.dev. Today on the show, we're talking all about hosting next.js on Netlify. And we have a special guest, Cassidy Williams. Hey, Cassidy. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Yeah. So thanks great for, to have you here. Thanks for joining. Um, yeah. So... Cassie, of course, um, a little detail. If you don't know Cassie, I'd be shocked at this point. But Cassie is a principal developer experience engineer at, at Netlify. Uh, Cassie was featured in Glamour Magazine as one of 35 women under 35 who are changing the tech industry. And she's, she starred in the documentary Big Dream, which is at bigdreammovement.com which focuses on focuses on women who are breaking barriers and overcoming personal challenges to follow their passion in science, math, computing, and engineering. It was a good, fun watch, by the way. I, I actually, uh, oh. after I found it, I was like, oh, I need to check this out. That's awesome. I hadn't heard Thanks that before, watching. so I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, it, it was a few years ago, but it was a good time putting that one together. Yeah, I liked it a lot. So can you tell us, for those who don't know you, just a little bit of your background and how you kind of ended up at Netlify and, and your journey in tech? Yeah, yeah. And so you you did the very high-level version yeah. of it. Um, but I've been at Netlify for almost a year now. I I, uh, I joined last year. It was a pandemic switch, um, but it was in April last year, so I'm almost there. Um, and so uh, back in the day, started coding and stuff when I was a teenager in eighth grade, experimenting with websites and stuff. And then I ended up taking AP computer science in high school. I majored in computer science in college. Um, and since then, I've I've gone to a bunch of different companies. Um, my first role outside of college was um, at Venmo. And Venmo back then was small and, and uh, it ended up getting bought out by PayPal. And I was doing kind of a combination of software engineering and developer advocacy for them and, and getting the Venmo name out there, the Venmo APIs out there, um, doing a lot of public speaking and stuff. And and after PayPal bought them, it was clear that some things were going to be cut. I wasn't sure what, what my job was going to look like. So I decided to switch over to a small startup called Clarify. Um, and Clarify is an artificial intelligence company. And um, my sister and I actually both work there. She's in tech as well. And, and cool. we were working on dev advocacy and software engineering. So working on the Clarify product and then also getting it out there to hackathons, conferences and meetups and stuff. Um, and had a really good time there. Um, I was living in New York at the time, but I wanted to leave New York. And um, unfortunately, remote work wasn't as big of a thing at that time. And so that's when I went to a creative agency uh, called L4, and that was out in Seattle. Um, wow, really you're loved, ghosts. Yeah, completely opposite end. And so wow. uh, I went over to Seattle, and, and uh, L4 was a really cool place to work for. I got to touch a lot of different client projects at this agency, and it was really cool. And then it was bought. L4 does not exist anymore. Um, and when it was bought, I was like, okay, well, I'll stick around for a bit, but I, I want to try something new. And so from there, I went to Amazon. Um, Amazon was very different from what I had been doing because most of the companies I'd worked for were pretty small and Amazon is not. Um, and so I, I admit I didn't I didn't stay there very long. I, it wasn't a good fit. There were political things, diversity things, stuff that, that just I, I wasn't a huge fan of. And so I, I learned a lot in the short time that I was there. But then after that, I went over to CodePen. Um, and CodePen, that's more opposite end of the spectrum size-wise. I was eight people. Um, 
And I was doing uh, software engineering at CodePen for a while and, and helped convert the site to React in a lot of different parts, worked on some of the backend stuff, some of the front-end stuff. Um, and that was my first remote job, too. And so I was working from home full-time and loving it. I, yeah. I love working from home. Um, and I liked CodePen a lot, but I was missing interacting with the dev community more. And I, I hadn't gotten to do that in a while ever since doing more dev advocacy things. And um, so I started looking into what things could I do to, to be more connected to the dev community again. And I ended up going to uh, work at React Training. And React Training, I was teaching React full time. And, and so I was teaching workshops to companies and in public. I was speaking at a lot of conferences. I was traveling a ton, um, like three times a month, sometimes more, wow. nice. um, just, just to do tons and tons of teaching. I was living out of a duffel bag, but it was, <laughs> it was a blast. And and in between teaching, I was, I was working on curriculum, understanding more parts of the browser more and, and really just learning a lot. And it was great, but as you can imagine, traveling jobs didn't last very long in this pandemic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so unfortunately, uh, last year in, in March, React Training had to lay off all staff because even with remote workshops, it just wasn't uh, it wasn't sustainable. And so that's when I started doing the pandemic move. Oh, Prince is here. Hello, Prince. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, after that, I, I went over to Netlify and I've been there ever since. And it's a really awesome team. And my focus is on React and Next.js and making that experience better for uh, React and Next.js developers. You actually moved to Chicago too, right? During yeah, I moved to I moved to Chicago three months ago, four months ago. Yeah, um, and so wow. I've been here ever since. Are you in the Are middle of it all? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm originally from Chicago, so it's nice to be oh, back okay. home. Mm-hmm. Nice. Very cool. Um, so in all of that, I, I think I recently, I can't remember if it was log rocket or one of the, the pods that you're on recently, you, you kind of talked about how you're actually much, uh, more of an introvert or you kind of consider yourself that, or maybe you were an introvert and it, it took a while to I still am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so it took a, a little bit to break out of that. Um, just like you started speaking and then you started writing. And so like all of that started to kind of just come out of you or was that something that you've always wanted to do? It's not something I always wanted to do. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, if you if you talk to high school me, she'd be like, "You do what full time?" <laughs> like it's just a shocker. Um, that was it was something that I started on in college because in college I I started working on the like our university's blog and and I started just like giving tours and stuff and then I also was leading the computer science club after a certain point I was leading a few different clubs and and a few groups and speaking a lot to younger students whether it's undergrad or or middle school high school students Um, and I was really enjoying that and I was thinking what if I could do this more because adults speak at conferences, right? And so <laughs> I, I was I was kind of trying to see how, how could I continue to do more than just code? Um, and I, I liked the idea of being able to help people more. And it, it really just kind of snowballed, where as I got to know more people, as I got to speak at more events, more events started reaching out asking if I could also speak. More podcasts started reaching out if I could speak. And, and just uh, more and more, I, the, I just got well-practiced. And so it's something where... It's not necessarily a natural thing for me, but it's something that I've done enough now where I'm more comfortable doing it. If you ask me to do small talk afterwards, that will be much more difficult. But the talks <laughs> I themselves. I heard you say on Remotely Interesting how you can just go in unprepared and just talk about a topic for like 30 to 60 minutes. Like it doesn't matter. You know, yeah, again, I've done it enough where like if you give me a topic, 
I could probably do a talk on it, do some live coding and, and <laughs> pull it out of my butt a little bit. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Um, so kind of back to, I, I love that, by the way. I love the background of Cassie and, and all the things you've been doing and kind of all the travel, which I didn't realize you were, you were bouncing all over the, the yeah, U.S. basically. All over the place. Um, to, to circle it back around though, uh, the reason we brought you on is something that's pretty exciting that that was recently, really recently released. Um, and that's hosting Next.js on Netlify. And that was kind of a thing before, but now it's like a real thing. Do you want to talk a little right. bit about like what that means for Netlify and folks using Next.js? That's a good way to describe it. Kind of a thing and now a real thing. Um, because Netlify has always been able to host aspects of Next.js and everything, but Next.js is very much a framework that requires a node server and a lot of aspects of it. And with Netlify, it's very much about the Jamstack where you have files that are hosted and built at build time and, and they run there. And then you can use serverless functions to, to query anything else and, and it's all about decoupling everything. And so with Next.js, there's a lot of aspects of the framework where it's deeply integrated with these very nodey type of features. And so it was a really big engineering effort uh, just across the team. And, and it's been really exciting where we made it where uh, there's a builds plugin uh, on Netlify. Whenever you run a build, you can add whatever build plugins you want or like on pre-build or during the build on post-build. Uh, on success, on error, you can you can have some functions run, some JavaScript run. And so we made this build plugin. Uh, it started as an open source project. We kind of absorbed that open source project and, and sponsored the developer who was maintaining it. And he was just like, this is awesome. I want <laughs> you guys to keep working on it. Yes, please. Um, yeah. And so uh, we, we started working on this NPM package that allowed you to turn the server rendered routes of Next.js into serverless rendered routes. So, so uh, created via serverless functions. And as the framework has evolved and changed and added different features, we've basically pulled in those features into this package. And what happened this past month, we basically made that a part of the Netlify product. And so we, it's, it's a builds plugin that auto installs where, where whenever you deploy a Next.js project, it'll just work. You don't have to worry about making any code changes or, or worrying about uh, things changing under the hood. It'll just work on Netlify and you'll just know it's not running with a node server, but serverless functions are powering, um, powering any variable routes or, or any uh, preview mode features, th things that, uh, that, usually require a node server. In the in the past, and kind of why I said it the way I said it, um, you used to be able to take and basically produce static sites out of Next.js and host yeah. those, correct? Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and, and we still can, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now, if you wanted to have an SSR route, if you wanted to enable some of those other features, now you can do that too. And so uh, a comparison that always comes up um, is Gatsby versus Next.js. Does this kind of take that next step forward for people that are really trying to have a end-to-end -end solution, um, like similar to CodingCat? We have SSR that we require for courses that are paywalled, and then we have SSG, sorry, all the acronyms, <laughs> statically generated uh, items for like our blog and things like that. Um, is this kind of, do you, do you see some things kind of pivoting a little bit where 
you know, Gatsby was out in front and had this static journey and all of these things. And now people are starting to kind of go towards Next.js. And that's why Netlify really needed to kind of go down this road and support this plugin. I think this is a very like... It's a loaded question. This, this is a, the answer I'm about to give you is a very engineering question. It depends. Um, <laughs> it's like, a consulting it, answer. It's like yeah. Jason. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's, it's, it's one of those things where like... Depending on what you're building, yes. Um, uh, Next.js has been growing a lot, but there's just like with everything, there's caveats to it. And I think with with each of these frameworks, with Gatsby, with Next.js, with React, with Redwood, with Remix, with all with all of these different mm-hmm. frameworks and, and things that, that use React and, and use all of these, they all have their pros and cons. And so Nest mm-hmm. does have its pros and cons, Gatsby has its pros and cons and stuff, but we want it to be able to be up to the user on how they want to implement it. And we just want to be able to support it. I think they can build it how they want it and then give them advice along the way. And so a lot of it, a lot of my work has been, here's how you can host stuff on Next J- uh, on Netlify with Next.js. Here's how you can build this with Next.js. But a lot of the stuff I want to do now is, Next.js is great. Here's when you shouldn't use it. Or, or here's some of the trade-offs that you're going to face with it. Because every framework has those. Um, there, there's no such thing as a silver bullet. Can you speak about some of those trade-offs that you get like going to Next.js? What what are some of the downsides or the cons? Yeah. And so there, there's a few different ones. The, the first one off the top of my head, this is this is the one thing that I hope they improve in Next.js is their router because they do page-based routing, which is nice. It's nice to be able to just add a file. It turns into a route. It works. Or add a file in brackets. It's a variable route and it works. That being said, if you want to do state management across routes, that can be a pain because there's their underscore app JS and that's that's kind of the global route that that everything passes through. You basically need to share state across every route in your application or none of them. You can't just say, okay, these two routes, I want to have them share some state and that's it. You it has to be all of them. And that's just how they that's how they built it. Um, and I I have mentioned it to their team. They are s- figuring out what what different solutions could be, but that's that's something where it makes me miss React Router because with React Router you could wrap a context or something mm-hmm. around like three routes, have those routes work with that, and and that's it. But uh, you can't do that with Next. Um, and then another one too is, uh, for example, with internationalization, it generally works, but. The, there, there's still some improvements that need to be had there, and also, um, and and you can just use another internationalization library with it, so it's not that big a deal. Um, is is that it? Generally works on Netlify or just Next.js is Next.js in general. Gotcha. In, in general, um, there it it mostly works if you are all in on Next.js. If you're trying to incrementally adopt it into like part of your uh, part of your code base, and like you only want this base path for certain things and stuff. It's not built for that. Um, it's it's kind of built to be an all-in thing. You can incrementally adopt things here and there, but you end up kind of having to work around the framework instead of with the framework because of how it's, it is kind of designed to be something that you just fully use. Um, that's that's so, really good to know. That's one of our next steps on our, our feature board of roadmaps. So yeah, yeah. And so and so you can, but um we've we've seen some cases, uh not just at Netlify, but in like some friends and, and some uh colleagues who who've done consulting things where companies will adopt it and they're 
happy with it when they work with it in ideal cases. But unfortunately, with a lot of big enterprises or, or with some larger existing sites, there are aspects of the framework where they just have to work around it or build a shim or a hack of something yeah. to make that aspect of it work because of how it's implemented. And so, again, there's no silver bullet for everything. Next.js is a pretty dang good framework, but there, there are caveats for sure. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of want to talk through just uh, for my my own justification. I don't know what I want to say here, but I basically am thinking about taking our site from Vercel and I want to go over to to Nellify, possibly. But I want to talk to like what is and I I've got to believe other people are thinking the same thing. So what what does that look like for me? Do I just point it and I'm I'm all done? Is there like that Netlify Tamil config or whatever the config file is. What? How? How do I go about this craziness? Yeah, I got to work on my blog post for this. Actually, this has <laughs> been a question I've gotten quite a bit ever since the big launches. And so there's there's really two main things to look out for, and that's your next config.js, and then any redirects or, or rewrites mm. that that you've done. And so in your next config, you want to make sure that your target is serverless, and that's something where if you have a next config.js, you'll just have to add that line. If you don't have one, you don't have to worry about it. We do that under the hood for you. And so that's, okay. that's one change. And then for uh, for any redirects or environment variables, that's where you put it into the into the Toml or you make an underscore redirects file and, and that happens there instead. So something like that um, where you usually use like, uh, I think it's next underscore public and, and things like that for the environment variables, that still holds true? It's just in yep. a different file at this point? Okay. Yep. still works perfectly fine. Yeah, and you can set those in either the Netlify UI, in the netlify.toml, or in a redirects file. So something that, that keeps... We're doing another pod on it a little bit for like Git flow and how to run GitHub actions, but something that bugs me and I, I can't quite figure out still, and maybe you can uh, help me like understand this. We have this, uh, this setup where we want to do a GitHub action to do a build, to do integrated testing, to do a headless Chrome test, like all of these things. So that would require all of these variables to be stored on GitHub as sites. But then when I go to do the actual like deployment, Vercel kind of wants those config uh, attributes over on the Vercel side because they rebuild the whole thing. I've tried deploying it without rebuilding. It does not work. Like I maybe that's possible, but I can't get it to work with like server side and all of that capability. With static, sure, like that's a piece of cake. Can you talk through on on Netlify? We're gonna approach this a little differently. Would we want to do like builds testing the whole thing on Netlify or could we still leverage like a part of that CI portion on GitHub itself? Yeah, no, a lot of people, it's it's kind of, I don't even know if the percentage is 50-50. I'd say a lot of people use GitHub Actions for stuff like that. Um, but that's where something like those builds plugins might be really handy for you because then whenever you deploy it, you can say, okay, once the site is built, check this. Like I know... Um, some people they deploy the they deploy their site and have a build plugin that says, okay, if our lighthouse score is less than this amount, yep. cancel this deploy because we want to make sure that it works and then log log all the different things. And so you can do it wherever you want. Uh, I'd say some people do some things in GitHub Actions. Even internally, we do some things in GitHub Actions, and then some things happen uh, in build plugins. It just depends on where you want those logs to live. Yeah. 
My biggest frustration is I don't want to maintain those environment variables and secrets in two different places. And so I'm, I'm always trying to figure out like, you know, for, for ours, it's Firebase on the back end. And so we have some server side things that occur to create, you know, static sites and, and stuff like that. And it's like, man, I don't want to spread that like SDK secret info around to every place I want to deploy to. So it's, it's something that continuously keeps coming up for me. Um, as we're starting to think about maybe migrating. Yeah. Well, if let's just say you are interested in the builds plugin route, you could make your builds plugin scripts and stuff live in its own repo and, and we don't access it. It just lives there and then it just runs and, and you connect it that way so that that can work. Um, or yeah, you could do a GitHub action as well. So for the, the Netlify deploy side of that, um, does it have to go out to your own build servers so that it can like spin up all of the, I, I have another question in here about like lambdas, but I'll just call them uh, Netlify functions, correct? They're lambdas under the hood. So. That's that was the question. It, yeah. I didn't know how loaded it was, though. I assume everyone's running on AWS these days. Yeah, it's, it's, they're lambdas, but without the extra configuration, you just write the file and it works. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, so I completely lost my train of thought now. Uh, when when we go to to do that that build, I guess, um, can we completely do that full end to end build on GitHub and then just say here's here's kind of that package and it's complete and then send it off to Netlify or do you still have to do like that build deploy within Netlify itself? If you want to, yeah, you can do it completely elsewhere and then like the outputted files yeah. just just in Netlify. Yeah. Interesting. See, that, that was the thing I tried with Vercel and just I, I can't get it to work right. I don't know yeah. why. So I mean, the, if you go to netlify.com slash drop, you can literally drop a folder of HTML, CSS and JavaScript and it'll be deployed and it's done. Wow. Is, is that true for the SSR side of things, though? Well, I mean, so that's that's the thing. It's it's the outputted stuff. And so yeah. um, theoretically, if you had a functions folder and the Netlify.toml and all this stuff in that folder, you could drop it and it would work. Wow, um, okay. Yeah, so and, it, and it so- It out the Lambdas all by itself. Right, yeah. And so Netlify detects, like we have a default functions folder where I, I'm pretty sure if you have a functions folder at the top level, it'll just detect those as Lambda functions. Uh, very um, interesting. There, There's benefits to doing things on Netlify just because you can do more configuration things. You could do like split testing, A-B testing on certain branches, stuff like that. Um, but uh, yeah, if you wanted to just do everything separately and then just hook it up to Netlify later, you can do that too. Cool. Uh, so Anthony, Anthony heard our Redwood comment through some couple more comments in here about... Uh, Michael Chan oh, yeah. has a blog post on it. So that's cool. Nice. Um, and then uh, Redwood works. So yes, that's how Redwork works in the back end. Your functions folder is used for a giant GraphQL handler. Perfect case. There you I go. keep hearing more and more about Redwood. They're, they were just on a pod I was listening to as well. They're they're interesting. I, I, I've been meaning to play with it. It's one of those things that's just like one of my open tabs that I yep. just need to actually... <laughs> So really we we all have those it. tabs. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's on my phone constantly. Oh yeah, I I ended up I got this thing called Raindrop, and it's a bookmark manager that I can just sync across everything. And so on my phone, on my computer, on my PC, just everything, all my bookmarks are there. And so I have my like follow up with this when you have a, need a project yep. idea folder. And that needs to be in the perfect pics down there. We need to drop yeah. that. <laughs> 
Yep, I'll have to put that in the uh, raindrop. Okay, good nice. to know. I always use Notion for that one. Mm. Yeah. Very oh, cool. and Anthony says hit him up. He's the Redwood guy. All right, he's the one who sweet you got to talk to. Wow, thank you, Anthony. I've heard really I good things about Redwood too. <laughs> Um, awesome. So what am I missing on, on Next.js and why wouldn't I make this move? Is there any other gotchas I haven't covered? Um, I mean, not again, it just works. It's, it, uh, you just should, works. It, awesome. it works. It works differently under the hood because again, the, uh, the, the way, um, the way we have our, our function set up, it's not a node server, it's serverless. I will say one of the things that is also a gotcha about Next.js is, is next image. Um, and yeah. it's their image optimization thing. I personally don't use it on purpose. Um, and Ooh, let's talk I, about this. Yeah, and that, that's that's another gotcha one where we're like, first of all, it was designed to work on Vercel. Like they they made that feature to work on Vercel and and not anywhere else. And they build the framework so they can do whatever they want with it. Um, <laughs> that being said, so it does work on Nellify. It runs a serverless function every time, so I don't know if you want to do that. Um, is that I've, is that only when the the sharp part of the default is set though? So when you drop in an image, it it has to run like the sharp resizing like the piece? optimization piece. Yeah. Well, okay. and, and so here's here's where here here's my like somewhat spicy take. Yes, their image optimization works. It works, but. I would much rather myself use something like Cloudinary or ImageX or or some other service where they're designed to use to do image optimization. I would rather just use a regular HTML image tag and query a service that's designed to do this rather than use something that's built into the framework. Because okay. yeah, yeah, it's built into the framework, yada yada yada. But it's running a lot of JavaScript. And and last I checked, they might have fixed this, but last I checked, it doesn't do some very good fallback things with with images if javascript is disabled or anything like that for images and so and they might have fixed it again it's, it's been a minute yeah since there's, there's been a couple uh a couple bug fixes in there yeah there, there's there's been plenty of github issues around that <laughs> i would rather use an html image tag where i can use a service something like cloudinary for someone like me is completely free like it, it's i think it's it's like obnoxiously free to a certain yeah, point yeah, for, for yeah. most people. Um, and so I would rather use something like that where they're very good at it and, and I can query certain things and it'll just work fine and, and use those kinds of images rather than, uh, rather than using the one that's built into the framework. I may be a little bit confused. What's the difference between something like Gatsby image and Next image? What are they doing differently that causes these issues? I think, so this is, this is, Touching on the edge of my uh, expertise because I don't, I haven't touched Gatsby in way yeah. too long. So let me just so look up the, Gatsby image really quick, so that way just, I can make sure. Yeah, while well, while you're looking that up, I'll uh, I'll I'll do a little add in here. So for for Coding Cat, we actually use Next Image, but we actually use it with Cloudinary. So mm. we're we're using so they they have this concept for for those who don't know um, of a loader. And the loader in Next Image, you can actually um, use several different of like uh, ImageX, Cloudinary, uh, I don't know, a couple different services in there, or you can write your own, and those will all run the loader piece. And so for us, we nice. we actually have a, a CDN for it's called media.codingcat.com. 
com or, sorry dot dev <laughs> and it, then you put slash image in there somewhere upload slash upload slash image i think is the correct url and then all of our images actually just have a, a public path to it and so the next image for us all it ends up doing is putting the correct like f auto and um whatever the rest of that string is for the optimizations. And essentially it's, it's like creating just that HTML tag because it's just referring back to all of our cloudinary images. So it, I kind of find it portable and that's the reason I always use cloudinary on top of I'm an MDE for cloudinary. So I, I love using it anyways, but um, for, for that piece, I think the mobility of using Next.js anywhere with that, I, I think really works. But it's interesting hearing your take on the, the their kind of resizing piece that they do as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, the way that you use it, it sounds it sounds like it, it works for you. So that's great. But yeah, I, this is this is also me trying to not use too much of a framework so I don't rely on it too much. Yep. Like, uh, I like the idea of being able to switch between things as needed. And so it's just a personal preference. You can use whatever. Oh, totally. Like, yeah. And I, I actually like, I very much agree with that too. It's just, it was so nice to be able to not have to write all those HTML tags. I, I think I had a little yeah. script doing it at one time, but yeah, mm. let's see that. These are good takeaways. These are the things that I, I want to know about switching to Netlify. Yeah. So the, yeah. the nice part in my mind too, is that Vercel doesn't have, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't believe they have kind of the functions piece available to, so that you can kind of extend out Next.js. Uh, for many people, the way we extend it out is by using Firebase cloud functions. Do you see a lot of people like utilizing that feature so that they they might start even with like a static site and then they're like start to realize, well, now I need a little e-commerce thing or now I need X. So like, do you see them extending into those functions? I see that very, very regularly. And one thing that I will note, and, and this is not meant to throw them under the bus or anything, but Vercel's free plan doesn't let you make money if you're on their free plan. Like, uh, like it's it's against their fair use policy. Nullify, we don't care as long as you don't exceed your limits. You can do whatever you want. But um, one, one thing that we've seen a lot is like someone will just say, you know what, I do want to add an e-commerce thing. But then they'll get an email from Purcell saying, hey, you're violating our fair use policy because you're making a profitable site uh, on a free plan. Um, and so that's that's something just worth worth noting there. But that's, that's that, very that, much worth noting. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's something that we see a lot. Like we've seen quite a few people switch over because they do have a site that makes money, but it's not a ton of money. Like yeah. the, they're just like, if I make enough, sure, I'll pay $19 a month for a pro plan. But right now I don't. Um, and so uh, I, again, I'm mildly biased, but <laughs> I like being able to be on a platform that's that's mostly free and that is so agnostic to a framework that I can add all of these other features. With with Vercel and Next.js, again, they 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 built it. They've they've got a really great cohesive thing going there. A lot of the stuff that they build are in an ideal world, working specifically with Vercel and Next.js together. Mm -hmm. Um, if you want to switch to another framework, you can, but you might struggle because Vercel is very much optimized for Next.js things. If you want to switch from Next.js to another platform, you can, you might run into some things. Uh, and so there's, there's again, pros and cons to both, caveats to everything. Cool. Um, can we 
Can we talk a little bit more about like how Netlify handles some Next.js sites? So yeah. is it like to the edge that we're getting performance? Do those lambdas for like regeneration live centrally? What what's that look like? Ooh, I've got I've got a blog post that I'm actually going to share really quick on Ooh, yeah. uh, incremental static regeneration because this is this is something that we implement differently on purpose. Um, and so I'm going to paste it in our private chat and then we can share it to the ether everywhere. But um, incremental static regeneration is something that we think is cool, theoretically awesome, but we don't like how it's implemented. Um, and I, I made lots of diagrams in this blog post that, that kind of uh, goes through that. But long story short, uh, the way ISR works now, I'm going to shorten it to ISR, is or rather the way the way deployment works right now is you have an atomic deploy where you deploy something and that's the site that that is deployed the, the that's the most recent update that's deployed and then if you want to roll back or make a mistake it's it's kind of like doing a git revert it just automatically points to the other one that's how instant rollbacks work and atomic deploys and immutable deploys we want the deploys to be their own specific shell of a thing that just works mm-hmm. so that's what that that's what that second diagram is and now if you scroll down to the next diagram, the way ISR works is it adds these extra pages to that build. And, and so it's it's kind of nice because you'll have your, your nice short build that just works or, or potentially long build um, that, that just works. And then <laughs> different pages are added to the build over time. Um, and it's kind of nice because then your builds don't have to be as long. You get these pages that are made, but there's problems with it. And so if you scroll down to the next one, is because ISR relies on the caching strategy stale while revalidate, um, a lot of these pages, the first person who goes to that page will see a fallback page. So just like some kind of loading page, then then the page will rebuild. So if they refresh the page, they would see the the proper page. Um, And then the next person that goes to that page will always see the most recently cached page. And then when they see it, then the second person that visits it will see the most up-to-date page. So like, like it, there's, there's that revalidation process that, that makes things not fully work and, and can result in just a lot of functions for being called to rebuild pages. And so you have the stale pages. And then if you scroll down to the next one, let's just say you want to roll back the, that little star, it'll it'll point out to, to this other page, but then those other pages can still exist in the ether, like like they're they're just cached differently, mm-hmm. and and some the cache is invalidated, but but in some ways it can result in some really weird bugs, um, and we've dealt with a lot of customers who have come to us being just like, okay, this is what we're seeing. If we implement this differently, could this happen? And it, it ends up being the case where where ISR just kind of breaks their their platform because even if it's something as small as our logo is the wrong color on this page, it's only wrong for one user or for a certain set of users. And then the they get all time. of these, yeah, they, they get all of these calls into support. It's usually not a logo change. It's something more serious. Um, but then they can't debug it because the page might've rebuilt or it's cached differently for different people. Um, and so it's a it's a funky caching strategy. And so currently, what we do with those pages is we serve those with lambda functions. And so we we basically SSR those pages. It's going to be different, and I can't go too into it. But in the next 
month, it's going to be different how we build those under the hood. And and we have some really cool caching stories and, and how we implement it uh, is we're going to describe all of that in blog posts coming soon. But it's basically solving this problem while still allowing for atomic deploys, immutable deploys, being able to instantly roll back um, and not have to deal with that messiness. Um, yeah, I think when Jason Lanesdorf was on, he was talking about how that causes the exponential growth and what was it? We got to 10 and it was like a million different like instances could happen. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were talking through like if there's two bugs, if there's three, like, and then it just snowballs. So, yeah. uh, right. so I'm, I'm kind of curious the way you described that in my head, um, this like red one that's sitting here versus the blue one um, or not even that, like all of these different little chunks right here. So you're saying today you actually serve those out of a Lambda completely, not necessarily just a cache CDN. Yeah, it's correct. Yeah, those are just wow. those are just SSR'd. Interesting. So, so actually, um, you're you might be building a, a static site. Like these are these theoretically in my mind. If you do it during build time, should be coming out of a CDN. But the the um, ISR version of these, again, too many acronyms, incremental yeah. ones are actually coming out of lambdas. Yeah, well, because the incremental ones aren't theoretically built at, at build time, the because they're supposed yep. to be generated at runtime. Yeah. I guess um, in my in my head, the first person that came to it, like the the lambda would take off, but then it would would produce once it completed that process, it would actually put that into the CDN. And anyone else that would hit it would always get the CDN version, but it would always call the Lambda right after that as well. That's, that's how it works in, a, in an ideal world. That's what it okay. is in that, in that diagram before this. Okay. The, the, so the, in, this. in, in the, the, not this one, the, the, that one. Yeah. In an ideal that world, that, that is what happens where it's bundled okay. and add to the CDN. But again, that breaks the model of atomic and, and immutable deploys. Yep. Because it's, it's, it's changing the bundle every single time. Um, actually, if you go to the Netlify blog now, like we, we just published a really cool case study where, um, people just netlify.com slash blog. Um, I think we literally published it this morning, a really interesting case study about a company that used ISR and they were using it not on Netlify, but yeah, first one next JS and Netlify for a better and faster, that one, um, they, they used ISR and they had all of these theoretical awesome benefits of it, but then they ran into someone DDoSing their website. Oh. And when someone was DDoSing their website, the uh, the multiple queries to revalidate and everything just completely blew up their their website. It was, it was really, really bad. I think if you scroll down, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a few paragraphs on it. Very much worth reading. They talk about how they pull out... Um, from WordPress, and then uh, right before this preview mode section, they they mentioned the ISR stuff. Um, this one right here, a solution to building can be no building at all, and building time and everything. In in here was really really interesting how how people were DDoSing their backend because of ISR, um, and so they they ended up they ended up switching to actually more of a more of a static perspective uh, for, for most of their routes because they really just implemented it to speed up their builds. And they realized mm. if we just waited four minutes for, for, our, for, for our build instead of like the two minutes that we, were, that we had, if, if they just did it statically, they saved 
so much, so many resources on their on their back end and stuff. And so it was, it was, I thought this was a really interesting section of that. Is there any pricing issues that someone might run into? So I, I think I got really crazy with our our ISR times. So they're they're set at like 60 seconds or some ridiculous thing. <laughs> um do you run into any issues as you scale out um when you know a, a thousand or ten thousand people are, start to hit that and the ISR wants to go and run lambdas like crazy all the time? Um does that cost more on Nellify? Are you setting yourself up for failure? We have a pretty generous free tier. Well, I, I haven't I haven't seen anyone run into that in particular yet. I, I'm sure I'm sure it can, but uh you're probably going to be fine. And chances are once you get to the point where it's where you're blowing past the free tier, you can probably afford to do the other one because your site will be just that big. Yeah, interesting. Well, cool. Is there anything else I'm completely forgetting to ask, Cassie or Brittany? I feel like this is so much simpler than in my head. I had like, this is a month long venture that we'll have to go down. <laughs> Yeah, I think we touched on pretty much everything. Did we actually say if there's any drawbacks? Like, to is there anything left except for maybe next image that Netlify doesn't have a river cell? I think next image is the big one, and and again we have it, but I just yeah, I it's, just, I, it's not ideal. Yeah, yeah, I I don't recommend it myself, but but yeah, we you right. you can just do it. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, put that on the roadmap. We'll get it done. Yeah. I'm yeah, definitely it, biased to Netlify as well. Kind of like you said with Cloudinary, it is just uh, insanely free to like a point. Like it's crazy. Yeah. I Even before I worked there, I don't think I ever paid for Netlify. And, and it's yeah. it's great because we're, I don't know how much, much how much I'm supposed to say, but we're trying to make even more things free. And, and it's great because the more paying customers we have, the more free things we can give away. And, and that's, that's yeah. been really fun that's to awesome. see. That's awesome. Um, but if anybody wants to see an example of of how we implement things, for example, um, Jamstack Explorers is a website. I actually think, Brittany, this might be one of your I picks. am. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So so I won't spoil that too much, but it's fully open source, built with Next.js, built with Cloudinary, hosted on Netlify. And so you can see how it's built from the ground up using both Netlify functions. We actually use Azure functions for, for some aspects of it. Um, there's some really cool uh, video things that, that we do that that use Cloudinary to add buffers to videos and stuff. It, it was a pretty cool project to build. I actually picked the whole thing on a different podcast, but I'm picking yours specifically for Next.js here. Yay. But yeah, I mean, they're just, and you guys have Jamstack, all, all Jamstack technologies in here. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I think actually just yesterday we released a, a new course on there for Nuxt. And so we're, we're trying to populate There's a lot it more on here. Than the yeah. last time I was on it. Yeah, trying to I, keep I, it consistent. I think what we're getting to, folks, is we should do our perfect <laughs> picks. Hey. <laughs> Casty is up first, if I can find the right. There we go. Okay. There we go. Uh, so my my first pick was Obsidian, obsidian.md. This is the note-taking app that I recently switched to. I was very mm -hmm. all-in on Bear. But uh, Bear is great, but it, I wasn't able to use it on my PC, and that was starting to really bug me. I, I wanted to be able to use my notes across various platforms. And uh, Obsidian not only is cross-platform, but 
it's much more powerful. It has a full plugin system, so you can you can write plugins in JavaScript or uh, other languages, um, and you're able to kind of just build a second brain for yourself. And so I have a pretty giant graph, like you have a visual graph of your notes. I just imported it from my old notes uh, things, but you can add like a daily note that auto-generates. You can make templates for everything. One of my coworkers, for example, he has a templates for, for all of his meeting notes. And you can do this thing where you add backlinks. And so if you do two square brackets around a word, that creates a backlink. And so, for example, when someone says something funny, when someone says something important, he'll do like a backlink where it's just my name. It's Cassidy with two brackets. And then when he clicks on Cassidy, he can see everything that I've ever said in any meeting. Wow. And and so it, it just automatically gathers and links everything together. And, and it's very, very powerful and intimidating at first. But once you get the hang of it, like... In about a week, I've I've got like a keyboard command down and, and I can do all kinds of really cool stuff with it. So I really, really like it. Plus, it's free, which is even better. Free and local Ooh. first. Free. Yeah. I like free. Um, so this is for Mac and Windows? For Mac, for Windows, everything. and for Linux. Yeah. It okay. looks like a couple maybe mobile apps are coming yeah, soon. I actually have the mobile app beta, and it's it's pretty good. I've I've been happy with it so far. Awesome. Can you draw on this? There's a plug-in for it. That's the that's the one thing that drives me nuts with not being able to draw on Notion. So someone cool. made that's actually a really cool plug-in where they they're active chess players. And so they made it where whenever they made a chess move, it like queried an API to chess.com or something and then it would also <laughs> log the moves in his notes and so as he finished it he was able to like make notes on on all of his different moves in chess games wow so cool yeah that's incredible I, yeah and like one of my coworkers, he made it where he can text he can text like a telegram server or whatever and that makes a new note to himself too it's it's super extensible it's really neat i uh i went off screen here a sec just to make sure i get the right page for your next pick Oh, okay. yeah. The, the next one, this is not techie or anything at all. It's a Korean drama called Ichiwan Class. And uh, it's just very, very good. I, I like I like K-dramas in general. And uh, this is just, it's a very nice show. It's a very diverse show. Um, it covers a lot of cool issues. And it, it's 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 a very fun show. And so I, I highly recommend it. Is it is it in English or is it dubbed? or? It's It's in Korean, but there's subtitles. Gotcha. Cool. Very nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a very very fun show. So I think the thing we somewhat held off for maybe maybe I should have let you go first, Brittany. That's okay. Yeah. So we have um, the next JS from the ground up uh, Jamstack Explorer mission. So Jamstack Explorers is digestible video missions that uh, basically explain a Jamstack topic to you, and it's a really good way to just get your feet wet. Uh, get started. And I've completed this one. And I think on the last one, when I picked it, I've done, I watched the angular one because Tara's amazing, but amazing. <laughs> I've never touched <laughs> angular. So, but, I mean, they're just, they're great. They're fun to watch and they're a good way to just get started with a project. And yeah, uh, we, my, we purposely kept them short too. So people could just watch yeah. it, understand it and, and get going. Yeah. I, I believe this is all open source too, right? You can yep. use, use the same uh, setup. Yep, cool. everything is fully open source. You can find the repo in the footer, I think. But yeah, the the full site, how we optimize the videos, how we do everything is is all uh, is all. I think it's under about right there. Cool. I'll put that in our uh, 
our details. Yeah, that's a really good one. And the other one is just the Next.js handbook. Uh, Free code can't put this out. So this is another way to get started with Next.js. And this is more of a blog format. So if you're more into reading than watching videos, this is going to be for you. Uh, They may. Does it have a video with that too? I don't know. Maybe not. Mm. Sometimes they do have a video attached to the blog, but that one looks like it's more just blog posts. But this is more for you who uh, need to read to learn. So you can go there and kind of figure out what Next.js is to get started. It's a long blog post. (laughs) Yeah, that is detailed. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. It doesn't say, is it updated for 10? Is it next? Uh, Ooh, it's it says 2019, oh, but 2019 might be a little outdated. But yeah, we're we're gonna have to pull down my old one as well. It's just too far outdated mm-hmm. once you go to 10. So cool. Uh, my perfect pick is Expo.io. So nice. I I just heard about this on a podcast, and it's super cool. Um, so you can. Obviously, like everything is in the browser and you can basically write once and it will build um, build to all the different type of applications. So um, I haven't dove in too far to this, but it seems very simple and straightforward to get moving on. Um, I would probably in my mind where, where my crazy head goes to is I would compare it to like an Ionic type of solution, but I don't know if they're using Web Components. So. I used um, Expo the one time I touched React Native, and it was not friendly with Windows, but maybe it is now. <laughs> cool. uh, the, that was the one time I touched it too, but it's also been a while, so yeah, I'll, I'll try it again. Very awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Cassie. I really appreciate it. Um, I think this uncovered some things that we were trying to figure out about Next.js and making a move possibly to Nellify. Yeah, Yeah, thank you for having me. It was fun chatting. 